Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. The podcast where the dogs are the stars of the show. Welcome to episode 86 of the Relaxed Dog Podcast. Sponsored by therelaxeddog.com. Thank you very much for finding this show. I am your host, Robert Ober, and I hope that you and your dog are well. Welcome back to our regular listeners, and another welcome if this is your first time. My guest this week is Steve Kaufman, and he's going to be telling us all about young Luke, his uh, Aussie Shepherd. But uh, first, in some doggy news, uh, late one evening on a Monday in Lebanon in the USA, it's near the uh, New Hampshire-Vermont border, uh, there were reports of a dog running up and down the road. So when the local police responded, they found a young German shepherd by the name of Tinsley. Now, Tinsley was proving a little evasive when they were trying to catch him. He uh, kept running slightly back up the road and waiting for them. Um, they police officers were a little bit sort of like, okay, they kept pursuing. Uh, it wasn't too far up the road. They found some damaged guardrail and a wrecked motor vehicle. The two occupants of that vehicle were had been ejected, and um, Tinsley actually belonged to them. The attending paramedics actually credited the swift recovery of the two gentlemen to Tinsley's ability to alert authorities to the crash site. Well done, Tinsley. And over in Hungary, in the Elatros. Lorand University. Researchers trained 18 dogs to lie motionless in a brain scanning machine where they were played some excerpts of The Little Prince in Spanish and Hungarian, along with some mix-ups of the, the two of them. What the researchers found was that the dogs' brains could distinguish between speech and non-speech, and also they distinguished between Spanish and Hungarian. Some very interesting results, and that actually got me thinking about all the rescue dogs that go from one country to another and what must be going through their heads. And if you're also wondering what, why not grab a friend, re-listen to the first part of the podcast, in fact, listen to the whole podcast with them, and then do some further research with Google. And now, here's this week's interview. Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. I am here today with Steve Kaufman. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah, pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me. Whereabouts in the world are you? I am in Phoenix, Arizona, or right outside of Phoenix. Oh, nice. And how's yeah. the weather there today? Uh, we're, we're getting up to about 81, I think. So it's um, spring has sprung. 
spring has sprung, and <laughs> as we record, I think you're going into Super Bowl weekend, isn't it? We are, yes. Tomorrow, uh, tomorrow <laughs> evening. <laughs> Always a big fun event. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's going to be um, uh, crazy around here. Yeah, the, the Rams are so it's 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 close by where the Super Bowl is being hosted. So. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, so, who are we going to be talking about today? Well, I think today we'll talk about Luke. Luke is a 18-month-old uh, Australian shepherd that oh, I just adopted uh, about three weeks ago. He's going to be, yeah, very sort of young and a, a more recent sort of story. So, um, as per usual, I'm going to ask you to take us back, in this case, only a short period of time, and talk to us about the, the hows and the whys that you two connected. Well, so Luke is, a, uh, a, so I guess, a product of uh, years of different styles and types of dogs that I've had. And uh, most recently lost a 12-year-old golden retriever that I had had. Um, and then during the pandemic, he, he was getting very ill and um, waited probably eight, nine months before Luke came into uh, my life. So I started looking around and always knew um, I wanted a hiking dog, a dog that uh, really loves a lot of exercise. Um, you know, I'm in Arizona in the United States and it's warm all the time. So you know, the mountains are right by the house. And so I hike quite a bit. Um, I have a small dog as well at home, a little small eight-year-old dog. He's not a big hiker. So um, so that's where, where I started looking for Luke. Um, I was looking for something that really had energy and wanted to learn and sort of fit my personality and my lifestyle as well. So looked at a lot of shelters, uh, rescues. Um, Within the work that I do, I have a national view of animal shelters. So I was able to really do a national search and look. I was willing to, to go really almost anywhere to find the right dog. Um, and ended up being local. Ended up a, a local animal shelter. Uh, as a, you know, you always find love in your backyard, right? So um, uh, I went over and he was actually a little growly, a little uh, resource guarding. You know, he had been there for about two months. Um, did the head head down, back up, was a real cautious Um but total personality change when we took him out of the kennel and brought him, you know, on a leash, he did well, uh, brought him into an off-leash area. And that's, that's when, when we hooked up, that's when we really knew we were each other's, uh, pet. Um, and it seemed like he was, uh, he was listening to me, right? Right. When I got him, like he understood I, his name was different and I had changed it to Luke and it felt like he knew that was his name. Mm -hmm. um, so, oh, nice. Yeah. So was there, any sort of like a reasoning or story behind choosing Luke as the name? Um, a little bit. I am a, somewhat of a Star Wars fan, uh, so <laughs> um, and I, I like the uh, the cleverness of being able to hike and tell everybody that I am his father. Yeah. So, um, um, so yeah, you know, we sort of we sort of chuckle about that. But his name in the shelter had an L. It started with an L. Um, and other dogs I've known that I've adopted. Um, I try to stick with at least the sound that's similar. So um, Luke was sort of born out of the name Lux that he was being called there. Um, and there's all kinds of other references. You know how it is with dogs. You start to come up with lots of different creative <laughs> reasons for the name. I could go on about, well, it might be Dukes of Hazard, or maybe it's this Luke, or maybe it's that Luke. Um, uh, he's 90210 Luke Perry. I don't know. So. <laughs> <laughs> then it'll be all be the uh, the derivatives that'll, that'll come from that. You know, it's like, what's your dog's name? And it's like, oh, he's got about 20 names, you know, depending on the mood at the time <laughs> and what he's done. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, like I'm Steve, but you know, my mother would call me Steven, you know? So when, when, 
when Luke and I aren't agreeing, I'll call him George Lucas is his full name. So, <laughs> so how was the uh, initial introduction into your home? Um, it was, it was interesting. So we, like I said, I have an eight year old, um, I want to call him a Yorkie doxy, maybe Lhasa mix. Um, and you know, he's been around since he was very young and he was around bogey who we had for 12 years. Um, so this was going to be his new best friend as well. Took about three days. The first day it was a little growly and, you know, they sort of stayed separate, uh, by the second day they were, um, used to each other and not quite playing, but, you know, uh, didn't mind each other. Mm-hmm. And then by day three, they were sharing a water bowl. Like I was shocked. I looked down, they were both drinking at the same time out of the water bowl. So um, it took a, a, about three days, but he was, he's young. He's like a teenager, you know, 18 months. He's just happy and loves everybody he meets and he's super friendly. And I'm currently dog sitting for a, a little um, four-year-old doxy. And so he immediately bonded with that dog as well. He's just, he's very open uh, to people and animals. So it was an interesting acclimation. Um, didn't know whether I was gonna let him on the couch or not, on the bed or not. Um, and once we gave that permission once, it was all over. He's on the bed every night now. <laughs> and, uh, he's on the couch and he likes to be right in your lap. Um, he's a people dog, that's for sure. I was just gonna ask, is it like free ranging or crate or, and where does he sleep? And that- and with the older dogs, same sort of conditions? Yeah, yeah, free roaming. Um, you know, I took Luke to a dog park uh, about a week ago. Uh, he made friends with everybody there and loved it. You know, the dog parks here, or at least the one I went to, was probably two acres. Um, and so there's a lot of room to run. Uh, he's a big fetch player. He's a big ball rope player. Um, and so he was stealing balls from everybody. You know, there's, there's a lot of other dogs there and a lot of other uh, owners and guardians and they were throwing the ball and he would just go after anything in the air. So he made a lot of friends that day. Oh, no, nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you got a, like a, a yard or? I do. I have a typical Arizona desert yard. Um, no, not a blade of grass anywhere to be seen. Um, it's uh, it's rock. Uh, so I take him out on a lot of walks and I, you know, I get him out to some other areas. Mm-hmm. Um, as a, we have a pool, most people in Arizona do because the summer here is very, very hot. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing if he swims. You know, it's a little cold right now. Even though it's 81, the water is still 60. Um, so about April or May, we'll probably be able to get in. And that'll be exciting to see. Um, you know, Aussie Shepherds are normally pretty good in the water. Goldens, Aussies, you know. Um, so we'll see. I'm excited to see yeah. if he swims. Has he had much experience with the water outside? Uh, well, they've been around the pool. I think he uh, stuck his nose in it to take a sip once. Um, <laughs> wrestling around with other dogs. Unfortunately, the smallest dog got bumped in the pool once. So, you know, they're all out there playing and he fell in just like a, a wet rat. And we pulled him out and he was all embarrassed because uh, it's pretty cold right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they do well uh, around water and not falling in. And, you know, it's an in-ground pool. So there's there's a ledge, we call it a beach entry. So it's really shallow on one side. So he's able to walk in and just stay up to his ankles or his knees uh, and not have to be all the way in the pool mm-hmm. yet still be wet. So yeah, nice so, to cool the, cool the pores off. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Cause those rocks can get hot. I feel so bad. I, I want to put grass in, but you know, I'm also conscious of the environment and here in Arizona, we don't have a lot of water and you know, I don't, you know, grass is not natural to the desert. So uh, I'm, I'd like to, you know, zero escape the yard, keep it really natural. We have some cactus, we have uh, Palo Verde, we have um, aloe and, and uh, 
Oh, what else is there? There's, you know, regular desert plants, but um, nothing really soft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I feel bad. I might put some turf down or something for them this year. I guess they'll, they'll never develop that, you know, digging holes in the yard scenario. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, when I moved to Arizona, there's no basements here. You can't dig very deep. It's just rock. <laughs> um, just sort of staying with the water. What about um, grooming? Any sort of like, how's he go with bath time and, and do you do that regularly or? Yeah, uh, just once so far. Um, I can't wait actually to see how his coat comes out. He's been in the shelter for two months. Um, they were on a consistent diet, which I recognize is really important to coat and to eyes. And um, so we've been switching him over slowly to his new food. Um, and his coat is starting to get shinier and his chest is filling out a little bit. So I'm excited to see what his full blown you know, what he's supposed to look like, take him to a professional groomer and have him get an Aussie cut. Um, you know, I've, I've worked in shelters for about 25 years and, you know, we do have some groomers in shelters, but most of the time I, I say, we just give them haircuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're not really being groomed. They're just sort of yeah. getting a haircut <laughs> yeah. or sometimes all of it cut off because it's matted or something. Um, so I'm afraid to take a, a blade to it myself. So I'm going to take him to someone professional. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and, um, I'm guessing that again with the environment, there's a lot less nail trimming and things like that that you have to worry about. Yeah, he grinds them down a little bit on the concrete, um, but you know, so far they're, uh, they're still cut pretty short, and he doesn't seem to have any problem. He sort of prances. I've never seen a dog that sort of walks like those horses do. You know, just sort of the um, equestrian style. Um, so he's got a neat, a neat gait. Interesting. Yeah. Did you? Do- know much of the history before he went into the shelter? Uh, well, they think he was a door dasher. He door dashed at the shelter a few times. Um, you know, that's normally how, or uh, one way they can show up at shelters is, is just wandering stray. Um, so uh, in this case, because they think he was a purebred and he's just a, he's just a gorgeous dog, they, they hung signs. They really tried all over the neighborhood where he was found to find an owner. This didn't look like he was on the street long. He wasn't emaciated. His coat wasn't, you know, uh, matted or anything. Um, so somebody took care of him, of course, uh, for some time and, you know, over two months, that's enough time that I guess that either they didn't look for him or they didn't look at the right place or decided maybe uh, against going back to get him. So, um, I, I was lucky. I think I went in that day. We found him online first, I actually did a digital search with pet finder and adopt a pet and, uh, and he was there, put in the application and, uh, you know, it, it started from there. Yeah, I just think when you're saying the the prancing, it, um, I mean, it's a good chance it's a, a natural thing, but uh, if someone's like initially sort of like done some training to do it, that style of, of uh, like heel work or something like that for a like performance or sports dog stuff. Totally agree. Yeah, it could be, you know, he seemed to recognize hand signals. Um, and I just started with a trainer actually yesterday. It was my first hour with her. And um you know, doing some really basic stuff, he, he picked up on it in like two seconds. So it looked like somebody had been working with him before. And, you know, I never thought of the show angle, but with that gate, you know, I wonder if maybe he was a show dog because he looks as close to pure as I can tell, you know, without ever seeing papers, you, you never know. But um, yeah, I wonder if he was possibly somebody who was, you would think though, if he was a show dog, they would have looked at every possible shelter or, yeah, or rescue. Think so. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. No, it's the, you know, it's sort of, what you get with the shelter sometimes is you mm-hmm. don't get to know all the history of the background. No, that's always a, a big challenge. Yeah. So what would a uh, typical walk 
sort of like be for you guys? So we go out every day, um, probably five days a week, most of the time, a few times, four days a week to the Phoenix Mountain Preserve. Um, so that's an area that's, um, God, I can't even think how, how many square miles it is. It's a huge area that we walk a 3.5 sometimes and then a five mile loop. Um, and we'll normally gain about six to 800 feet in elevation. So we'll walk up to a peak and then we walk around the peak. So you get a view from the North, South, East, and West, and then we walk down. Nice. So, um, so we get some elevation, we get some single track. So he's walking next to me and then he has to get in front of me because on the single track, you know, there's a mountain on one side and then it falls down on the other. So mm-hmm. you got to stay in front of each other. Um, and so the trainer I'm working with has given me some good uh, commands to use to get him to stay on the trail and there's cactus everywhere. So, you know, a couple of times he's gone off trail, he's gotten some between his paws and he, he yelps and leaps and I have to get down and, and pull him out. Um, so he's learning quickly to stay on the trail. <laughs> <laughs> on or off leash? Uh, on leash all the time so far. My goal is to get him to an off leash verbal command. Um, you know, I don't need a service dog or I don't need an agility dog, but I would love to be able to um, have him squirrel proof, you know, like if something ran by that he wouldn't just take off. Um, so, I, you know, that's why I got a trainer too. I've had, you know, five dogs over the course of my life for the full course of their life um, and never had a trainer, but just sort of self-trained and I work with animals. So I kind of, you know, I had dogs with manners, but never really dogs that were trained. And so I wanted to, that's another reason I was so attracted to Luke when I saw him that, just his eyes and his learning ability with the way he was looking. Um, he just looked like he was wanting to learn. So, um, yeah. Excellent. Um, have you ever come across any sort of like, uh, other species and things like that on the, on the trail? Oh yes. Yes. So I've got quite a few videos. I keep my phone handy. Um, lots of coyotes that are out there, uh, lizards everywhere in the summer, um, rattlesnakes for six or seven months of the year. Um, so there is actually rattlesnake training that you can do here in Arizona for your dog to sort of make them averse to rattlesnakes. Um, I was just at Joshua Tree National Park that's in California. And, you know, there's uh, bighorn sheep out there. Um, so, yeah, the, the hikes we really see mostly lizards and uh, and rabbits, big, big, tall eared rabbits. Um, he still charges a little bit. He wants to tug, but he's got a really short response. So as soon as I say leave it, he turns around, and comes right back. Excellent. So. I think getting him to a point where he's squirrel proof is going to be, uh, isn't going to be too hard, but I just got to keep up with his training. Like I <laughs> used to tell everybody when they adopt that how important training was. And now I have to walk the walk. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned briefly before, so like favorite games that he likes to play. Yeah. So he's definitely big into fetch. Um, uh, so different style of balls that we play with, uh, and Kongs. I love that, you know, the way that those bounce. Um, I'm not big into rope toys. I don't like tug of war. I didn't want to get into that with him. He did come with some rope toys and some other stringy toys. Um, so we played with those for a couple of days, but I've tried to stick with balls and, uh, retrievable things. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, yeah, I'm trying to come up now that I've had a trainer help me. The games I think are changing from what's fun for me to what's fun for him, you know, changing my mentality to turn the game into a training technique. So every time I'm playing with him, he's actually learning something or we're learning something about each other. So, uh, we've got some hide the treat under your foot type games, you know, these are, um, not very labor intensive, you know, these are very (laughs) slow, slow games, but he's learning and he's learning to keep his eye on me and learning to, to, um, leave treats alone on the floor. So those are the types of games we're playing right now. Oh, nice. Do, yeah. 
any uh, sort of like scent orientated stuff? Like you, know, you said, hide the treat under your foot, but do you do like hide to hide the food somewhere in the house and that sort of things? Or yeah, nothing that advanced yet. Uh, I am going to move from some liver dried liver treats that I've been using to something a little more stinky. Um, you know, the, the stinkier and the slimier, the more of a prize it is. Um, and so, when I want to get to some higher level of training, I got to have a really good prize. Um, so. Haven't done anything hiding around the house yet, but uh, <laughs> uh, hope to get there. Uh, great. Um, so now the the focus was for uh, to match a dog with your sort of outdoor sort of ambitions and things. How far are you sort of like going with that? Are you thinking of something like uh, like canny cross or anything like that, or just purely for the enjoyment of hiking and things like that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a big camper too, you know, and I have a little travel trailer that I tow behind a truck. And so, you know, he'll be coming with me. My, my goal is pretty much every time I pick up my keys that he comes with me wherever I go. Um, and so, uh, and that's how Bogey was my old dog. And that's why, you know, I, it's kind of funny now because most of the cars don't have keys. It's just a little, you know, fob. Yeah. So you can't rattle the keys. The dog doesn't come running when you, there's nothing to rattle anymore. Um, so I got to come up with something like the leash or whatever, but uh, yeah, I, I want to take them. Uh, you know, like I said, camp a lot to, up to the Grand Canyon and up to out to California and the coast. And I'm originally from the Midwest, United States, from Missouri. So, of course, want to bring them back there. Um, love to have them see the beach and, and the coasts on the East Coast. Um, but I'm not going to get any, any sort of um, agility or trials or anything, competitions or anything with them, really. Purely a companion. Um, don't really even want to make them a working dog by any real definition, just more, mm-hmm. um, more obedient than manners. That's, that's still always my goal. <laughs> yeah. No, nice. And it's just that, um, focusing on where the die, where you're going to use their intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. One of my uh, staff that I work with, she has a border collie mix that is a search and rescue dog. So, you know, she told me upon hire even that, you know, at any time when a disaster happens, earthquakes or fires, buildings collapsing, this dog is on a registry that they would call and say, we need you to come and use your search and rescue dog, mm-hmm. um, which is wonderful. Um, and it's an amazing, just, you know, to your point, you can, it, it's a companion and it's a wonderful companion, but it also has this job that is a life-saving or potentially life-saving job. And so, um, you know, I look at, I look at Luke, like he does have a lot of potential to do something. I don't know what it is. And actually it's all owner based too. What do we want to do with them? Yeah. Um, and I think it's, uh, for a lot of people, there's a, a bit more of a transition now that, that a lot of people understand more about dogs and rather than uh, a person saying, I want to do this and you're my dog and you're going to do what I want you to do, but letting the dogs try multiple things and seeing what they really want to do and say, okay, I guess that's what we're going to do. <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, training has gotten so much better from, you know, you know, purely being punitive before and, you know, electric shock and pinch collars and it's moved to positive reinforcement. And, you know, we just really recognize the human animal bond is, is so strong. I mean, and again, coming from animal shelters, you see they're so resilient, you know, an animal that, that has an abusive past can still be a wonderful pet. Um, you know, greyhounds have had some horrible abuse in their lives and they make amazing pets when they're retired racers. You know, just the resiliency of the spirit of the dog is yeah, something that's amazing. Nothing nothing at all like a, a human-canine bond. It's just, you know, two species and it's just, you think, wow. And 
so much that comes off it and so much that that we get from that yeah yeah absolutely it's uh and i've seen you know in in the business that i'm in now i've seen a lot of levels of ownership so everywhere from people experiencing homelessness owning pets to you know people breeding pets to people in in with multiple pet households uh, the bond's the same you know doesn't matter race religion creed sexual orientation dog doesn't care um you know it's just and, and actually people experiencing homelessness have a bond that's that's very tight with their pet because they're with their pet for 24 hours a day um and it's it's just interesting watching that uh how much they put into your life you know and how much they do add and then even if you're not a, a certified service animal um so many of the pets that i've seen for all intents and purposes are providing a service you know they are yes. very very valuable service whether it's mental or physical yep. um and they don't need a, a piece of paper to, to do that for you no absolutely absolutely Actually, just touching on health, how has Luke's health been? Has there been any incidents or vet visits? Um, not yet. I mean, we had our first vet visit, initial inoculations and vaccinations. And um, uh, my wife's a veterinary technician uh, in in her past. And, and, you know, I have a, a Tandy and she works for a dog food company now, which is also very handy. <laughs> and um, and with my line of work, uh, you know, we, we can watch the health pretty quickly. And we... Uh, um, yeah, so far he's you know been uh, completely healthy. He hasn't thrown up. He's chewed a few things. He's gotten into a few things. Um, he's still a kid, so you know <laughs> you can lay as much stuff on the floor as you want, and he still wants the pillow. Um, so uh, I'm expecting a few health issues probably down the road, and I think they'd probably be more like digestive. I don't expect any um, skin or you know. I'm hoping there's nothing hereditary. You know, mm -hmm. without knowing his lineage, um, I don't know if there's a history of anything. Um, but, you know, ideally, if they came from a good breeder, then those are the health checks that they would have checked, you know, before they bred. Yeah. Mentioning a few of those things, I usually ask all my guests to complete the sentence, I can't believe my dog ate. Yeah, I've been, uh, what, dude, what hell has he eaten? So his bed, of course, you know, right off the bat, he chewed his bed up uh, the first time I was gone for more than an hour. Um, I think the oddest thing so far is um, a razor, a disposable razor, Ooh, you know, blade. Wow. Thing. Yeah, and that scared the heck out of me. I saw it. He didn't have it for more than just a few seconds because I saw it come from the other room and, and caught it real quick. But it just it woke me up to, um, it doesn't matter what it is, he will put it in his mouth. So <laughs> um, really have to watch, you know, when you've got a, a toddler in the house like this, um, what you lay on the ground and, you know, what they see versus what, what we see. Mm -hmm. um, and that's another reason why I'm really particular about the toys I want to give them because, you know, some stuff looks very much like a shoe or <laughs> like something that I own. I don't want that as a toy. <laughs> what What are his favorite toys? Um, it's the ball so far. He's he's a big runner and retriever. Yeah, he he brings it back and wants to play endlessly. Um, whereas you know, like my other small dog, uh, you know, he'll go get it once and he's done. Um, so Luke's big into interaction. Mm. You know, I think. And I've never thought of it that way, but that really is uh, his difference to other dogs I've had. He's very interactive, so it's not as not as much independence. He wants to be there and doing things. Uh, nice, yeah. Um, with the mentioned when he first got here, and that's uh, a little bit of the the separation anxiety. And was there much of that that he did have initially, and then? Yeah. Yeah. He, um, you know, I didn't know whether I was going to crate him. I have a crate for my other dogs and I brought it in and set it up and, you know, introduced him real nice to it. And the goal was the first night or two to crate him 
and then see what happens. Um, he hasn't had an accident in the house at all since I've got him. So he's obviously already been house trained. Um, and so the crate went down on day two, uh, because we didn't really need that. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, uh, not, he's just very well mannered in that aspect. Yeah. I, I, so you got a yeah. favorite room or place in the house? Uh, well, I think the bed now, I think they might've not been allowed on a bed before, um, but he'll come full speed from another room and jump on the bed. And, um, every time I come back in this room, my, my bedroom is just a complete torn up mess. Um, but he's been sticking pretty tight. Uh, myself and my wife both work from home pretty often. So he stays by me when I'm here. And then when I leave, he pretty much curls up in that room in the other office. Um, so no real one favorite room, but uh, wherever humans are again, like I was saying before, he's just so so tied that bond is really tight with him and it took like two days i mean there was you know i could tell he was not clinical separation anxiety but the, the the fact that i was gone for a couple hours even after the second day made him more antsy and he paced and he chewed a little more and um so so his favorite place is wherever we are <laughs> <laughs> excellent did he uh ever chew something like really bad that he shouldn't have chewed initially yeah, nothing so far. I mean, now after the bed disaster on day one, um, where it was just blown up all over the room was, was uh, a complete mess. We just learned what to keep on the floor and what not to keep on the floor. So um, I'm hoping, you know, I'm, I'm guessing they, they thought he was about 11 or 12 months, I think about 18 or so. So, you know, they're puppies till they're two years old. Um, so I fully expect to not keep anything valuable lower than two feet. Uh, so, um, I will... Keep buying, you know, I keep trying to find what his, what he picks up, what he's using. There's toys everywhere and they sent us home with just a mass amount. Um, but I think I'm going to stick with the hard rubber and the Kongs and the treat oriented, puzzle oriented toys. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they're more, uh, what we used to call it in the shelter world is kennel enrichment. You know, I want him to be able to keep, be occupied so he's not bored and chewing the carpet or chewing a pillow. Yep. Yeah. Biological fulfillment and enrichment. It's a... Uh something that a lot of people sort of, I think, do overlook a little bit. And if they took a little bit of time to understand a little bit more about what the dog wants to do or what's hidden in their DNA, then there'd be a lot less of the what people perceive to be problems at home with the dog. Yep, 100% agree. I think that uh, destructive dogs are really not destructive. They're bored dogs. Um, and so, you know, the destruction is just the human version of what happened. They don't see anything destructive. They didn't feel like this doll used to be in one piece and now it's in a lot of pieces, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, you gotta, you really change your mindset and get into their head and what they see things as. Um, and then your, your relationship is much tighter (laughs) once you've gotten to that level. (laughs) So traveling in the car, where does he sit? Uh, well, he wasn't back. I have a, a pickup truck. It's a four door. So I, I put him in back when I take him for hikes. Did not last long. He jumps to the front now pretty quickly. Um, he's not really a head out the door, you know, driving down the road. I do crack the window. I, I'm a little nervous still of him jumping out, but um, yeah, he does. He just, it, it's funny because the other dogs I've owned will always stick their head out the window and they like the smells and the tongue, you know, getting the air across the tongue and everything. Uh, he lays down in the front seat, puts his head on the armrest in the middle just stares at me, you know, like he just lays down. So I'm driving with one hand and, you know, petting his face with the other, but he really doesn't jump around much or anything. Gets in the front seat. He lays there, stares at me when we're driving. And mm. Have you done any longer trips with him? 
Uh, nothing over a couple hours yet. Um, so I'm excited, you know, as the uh, spring and summer wear on and we have to start having more camping trips and getting them out. Uh, yeah, I can see doing eight, nine hour trips with them, you know, a couple stops on the road and uh, for some potty breaks and stuff. But he travels well and and uh, I think he'll he'll do well on those long eight hour, nine hours. He'll probably just curl up and sit right by us. <laughs> um, and that's probably a little bit early to tell, but do you think he has a preference towards the warmer or cooler weather? Um, well, yeah, I'm guessing he's from here or from the area. So I'm sure he's, his whole life has been in the desert. Um, so it'll be interesting. Uh, I do have a trip up to Colorado planned. Uh, Durango, Colorado, is it's all snow right now. They got like 20 inches recently or something. So really excited to see what he does when he sees that because... Um, I've had quite a few dogs and I've got the experience to, to watch them see snow for the first time. Um, and each one of them is kind of different depending on the breed and depending on like where they sort of grew up. So um, yeah, he's so, he's got so much personality. It'll be interesting to see when he gets out of the car and there's snow on the ground, it's cold on his paws instead of rocks or hot. <laughs> yeah, that should be very, very interesting to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's got a big coat and you know, he's just, he's a kind of a thicker, he's a shorter, but he's, he's already 55 pounds. Um, so if he's anything like the Goldens and some of the other shepherd breeds, I think he's going to love it. I think he'll, you know, just roll around and have a great time. Mm. Off the top of your head, one of the more prouder moments that you've had in the short time. Uh, is training. You know, it's, it's amazing, you know, when you actually get a real, a good trainer and how quickly they pick up on what they're learning. And then when you do it right and you see the dog respond, you know, it's sort of like, you know, hitting that golf ball in, you know, once you do it, once you're like, Oh, I can do this all the time. And then, you know, you miss nine more times. Um, but the, you know, it's, uh, and that's how it is with, with dogs, you know, you do it once and he obeys and then everything is perfect. And then eight more times, you know, he never sits. Uh, and so you keep trying and trying, but so, so to answer your question, yeah, that moment is the other day when I was really doing some of those games where we, you know, we're hiding the treats and he, um, he learned really quickly. It was like just amazing to watch a treat that he a high high value stinky treat that he really wanted about two feet away uh, off leash and didn't move you know until he was given the command to go uh, and, it, and that took like 15 minutes to get to that point you know a couple of repeat trials a couple you know here's what i want you to do um and then he did it and i was like oh my gosh <laughs> you know, that was my big proud moment so far mm-hmm I was going to ask what sort of um, training style or and reward based reward based system that they're that they're using, but so it sounds like you're getting like treat rewards. Yeah, positive reinforcement. Uh, so uh, I do have a Martingale collar on, so it's sort of it's not a, a prong collar by any means, but it's a slip collar that you, I'm sure you're familiar with. And um, so he doesn't pull when I when he walks. He walks with a full U leash, so he's got a you know a, a good hanging U there. Um, and the, the training has all been, yeah, very positive. Most of it is, you know, eye contact, not direct stare contest, of course, but it was just more making sure the dog's always looking and, and checking what you want him to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and it's interesting. I want him to have his own personality and I want him to be bouncy and fun and goofy and, and a fun dog. So I don't want him to be a robot, but I do love the fact that, you know, he is checking on me and just constantly like when I do get to an off leash scenario in the mountains, I want, I don't want him to be. 200 yards in front of me. I need him to be, you know, 20 yards in front of me. So I want him, I want him to be trained enough to look back and care about where I am, but 
carefree enough to still be a dog. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good balance. And it, it is nice when you get that regular, yeah, they're checking in with you rather than it's just like a, I'm free, run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's a dog beach. I can't wait to take them to that uh, I visited when I was in LA last summer. Um, and there must have been 200 dogs just running up and down the beach. <laughs> and then the water dogs were running in and chasing the balls. And then the little dogs were running along the beach and barking at them all. And there's like just layers of, (laughs) of, um, you know, uh, minor aggression, nothing major, of course, everybody just yelling and barking and sniffing each other. Um, So I'm looking forward to taking them there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Does he have any local like doggy friends? Well, he does now. So, you know, we, uh, we dog sit for quite a few other people, um, within my role and some friends roles, we all travel quite a bit and we all have pets. So we pass them around and watch them for each other. Um, and so far everyone he's met, he likes, um, even his own house, which I like because, uh, you know, when I first introduced him and this was a question you had asked earlier and I didn't, I didn't actually hit this point, but you know, I had said before we got any dog, what I loved about our previous one was when we brought him home and there's a much smaller dog, he sort of went to his back and immediate to the um, submission pose. You know, he was, or, and then he bowed down, head down, butt up, you know, and was playful. And I thought if we bring a dog home and that's not the first thing that happens, you know, if it becomes a little sniff off or some growlies or something, I thought it'd be much harder. And it was great when Luke came in and he did exactly that. He just went right to his back. He let Herbie, our small dog, jump around and sort of get the sniffs, figure him out. Um, and I think he's still a young enough mentality that everything's a game to him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's very playful. And, you know, when you got a little uh, eight pound dog being aggressive to you, I think he still thinks it's a joke, you know, because he's 55 pounds. So he's, <laughs> he's like, I don't tell if you're serious or not. So <laughs> you're growling at me, but I'm still in a play mode. Um, and so, yeah, he, uh, he he's met. Uh, and Parker is the dog I'm watching right now. And he's having a blast with him. It's another, you know, maybe 12, 15 pounder. Um and he lunges and snaps and, you know, tries to keep Luke in line. And Luke just thinks the whole thing's a game. <laughs> what lessons do you think Herbie has sort of like passed on or shown Luke? Um, well, the ways of the house, of course, you know, I think right off the bat, they sort of sort of travel around room to room. Here's where the water is. Here's how we get outside. You know, every dog's got its little trick, you know, to get out. And some people use a bell like on a door, you know, or there's a paw to scratch or something. Um, my dogs are traditionally, and I've never trained this, they just do it is like one short, yep, you know, just to let you know they're by the door. Um, and it didn't take Herbie long to show Luke. And you could almost watch it, you know, you could see how it was unfolding, um, that this is where you go out. And when you want to go, you know, and here's where the food is, five o'clock, he runs to the food room where they get fed in the laundry room. So now Luke does that. Um, day one, I fed them separately. And by the second day, they were both eating at the same time, which I was amazed by um, because they're feeding different food. And um, I think Luke's is stinkier and more, you know, attractive and they just, they keep their, keep their balance, eat their own food. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd like to say Herbie is old and wise, but um, I'll just say he's old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a little dog and he's has stuck in his ways and, you know, we have accepted those ways. <laughs> so um, I don't think he's going to teach him anything bad. I'm oh, oh, just going to ask. My training. <laughs> has it been something that, you know, he's passed on to think, oh, no, don't tell him. <laughs> Show him how to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the trash cans and the, the things that he used to chew on. Um, Herbie's good at hiding things under beds that you might forget about for two or three weeks, and then you're cleaning up, and you're like, oh, that's where that went. Yeah. So I hope he doesn't teach Luke that because um, Luke fetches everything. And, and again, like I said, I don't want, like, shoe-style toys because the next thing you know, all my shoes will be under the bed or they'll be hidden <laughs> somewhere in the backyard or something like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Um, the happiest or the, the time where he's, you've just gone into like fits of uncontrollable laughter, has there been one of those? Or? Oh, a couple, yeah. He is, you know, even from day one, super affectionate. So he's right in your face, too much so. I mean, it's one of the traits I'm trying to train down. So I got muzzle punched. This is a podcast, you can't see it, but I have a fat lip because he came up so fast and you know what a muzzle punch is, you know, they sort of take their muzzle Dang, and, yep. and nail, <laughs> nail you. And I was bleeding, you know, got a fat lip and everything, but I mean, he can't be mad. He was trying to kiss me, you know, it was, <laughs> it's not coming at me with teeth. He was, um, and so to, to your point of the, the laughing moments, like when I get up the first day, so no crate, he, we let him sleep on the ground on his bed. And then as soon as we start waking up and moving around, he jumps on the bed. And so, you know, your eyes aren't open yet. And I wear glasses and hadn't put my glasses on still dark in the room and he just leaned down right in my face and just a giant sneeze just you know <laughs> like i mean three inches from my face and i'm like morning luke you're like day two this is how i'm, I'm waking up i'm like we can't do this every day luke we're gonna come up with a, a different one but he gets in and he just rubs his face so close to you and he's trying to lick so much that um, he did it to me and i can't stop laughing because it's it's early and he's getting so close and then he did it to both my kids so it was fun to watch where he where i could hear from the other room that you know, my one, my son sleeps really late. And so when, if I open the door, Luke comes right in and gets right on top of you and he's all in your face and mm-hmm. um, you just can't help but start laughing because it's just super fun and cute. How was the initial interaction with the kids? I don't, I don't know how old your, your children are. Sure. Um, you know, they're teenagers and so fine. They're, they've been dog kids their whole life and they have parents who both work in the industry. So um yeah, they yeah they know how to approach dogs really well, and you know they knew they went up to the shelter. Of course, I you know as a family we wanted to all meet them before we made a family decision to bring them home, um, and so we went into a, a leash free area, and I still kept them on leash, and I let my son and my daughter each take turns walking them and sort of interacting. Had a whole pockets full of treats, um, and yeah, he, he he bonded to everybody really quick. So uh, I have no fear of you know, either my son or my daughter taking him out for a walk on their own. I think he's totally controllable. You know, I've seen some large dogs that, you know, are, are uncontrollable. They're, they're not uncontrollable, but you definitely want to have the right owner behind that dog when you're out in a public area. Um, and so, you know, whenever I see kids walking dogs, it always makes me you know, think, all right, can they control that animal on its worst moment? You know, if something were to happen. Um, and I feel that with Luke, you know, my youngest is 13 and the other 17. So they're big enough to hold on to him, but I don't have any fear of, of him doing something out of control. He's already protective of them. You know, he's bonded so quickly. Ah, uh, nice. Yeah. Has there been any sort of like of those uh, anxious, or call them anxious or cautious moments, even just uh, doing a local walk around the neighborhood? No, you know, he was, I had hardly ever heard him bark except for the time in the kennel where he was barking at me because he had his, his, his resource guarding. I got it. You know, it's, he was in this tiny little five by 10 kennel. Um, the only other time I've heard him bark is, is ironically when the trainer came over because we were wearing masks, of course, at the time. So she had her mask on. Um, and that's a little intimidating, I think for dogs and, uh, knocked really, you know, loudly on the door and I opened the door up and he starts barking and it sort of shocked me because I had not, I hadn't really heard him bark much. He's a pretty quiet dog. Um, and we both kind of laugh because we're like, well, this is your trainer. So you know, <laughs> out of all the people to bark at and to cause anxiety, um, <laughs> you better get used to her. So she took her mask off. And as soon as she came in, of course, he, uh, you know, within two sniffs, he had jumped on her like he jumps on people. And um, and then she was also full of stinky treats to give him. So they, they made friends really quickly. Um, but yeah, that's the only angst I've seen out of him. I, you know, even when we were hiking and saw a coyote, 
uh, you know, he saw it and he perked up and it ran by and uh, didn't bark at it. Didn't try to chase or anything, which thank God <laughs> he didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even the little lizards and stuff when we hike, you know, he doesn't seem to be bothered or get any anxiety from that. I think his worst is just separation. You know, again, not, not the sort of clinical self mutilating, but just, he so likes to be with you that he's just a uh, bored. He's looking for you to give him a job all the time. And so if he's by himself, if, if you didn't leave him a puzzle, you know, he's going to find your shoe. <laughs> so touch back with the interactions with the uh, coyotes were around because quite often they can be the aggressors. And I've heard you know, different accounts of people with small dogs um, really having problems. Yeah, there's problems with that. And out here, the big raptors too, some of the big birds will come and take little dogs away. Um, so for the coyotes, the one we saw with him was just a single and it ran by uh, probably 50 yards ahead. So it was really just more of a head perk. Um, when I've walked by myself, I've seen three together in a pack. Um, and that goes to your point. You know, I think that's when I get a little more nervous when mm-hmm. when three of them feel like they've got some guts. One of them, you know, by himself, you know, didn't, isn't going to cause any harm. So I, I'm a little more cautious when I'm by myself, but um, there's time of day around here as well. And you sort of have to be alert all the time. Um, I know some people carry like uh, air horns and things like that to scare off wildlife. Um, I haven't done any of that yet, but uh, we'll see what happens. You know, mm. hopefully we don't run. Hopefully we don't get, you know, within a couple of meters. That's a little too close. No, let's, yeah, <laughs> let's hope not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, is anything else coming to mind as far as, uh, adventures or interesting incidents that you can think of that you've shared? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, nothing that, uh, he's just been a part of my life every single, there's been four days, I think that we were separated since I've gotten him, um, because I was out of town and, and he stayed at home. So all those experiences are coming. I think all the, um, fun stuff still ahead. And as the training progresses, it's amazing. Like I said earlier to watch how quickly they learn, and then I, I'm excited to see that in real life, you know, out in the environment. He goes to soccer games with me, you know, and there's tons of kids running around everywhere. Um, so not chasing the ball and, and <laughs> learning to just sit there and watch the game with me. And, um, you know, all those are, I think, the adventures coming and, and camping. And, you know, once you start getting out in the wilderness here in Utah and California, um, the wildlife gets larger and uh, stronger. So... <laughs> You have to start getting a little more cautious at night if there's bears around or if there's big cats around. So um, we'll see. I'm sure there, you know, if we talk again in a couple of years, I'm sure I'll have a lot more stories. Oh, uh, about, no, about no doubt at all. And and look, sometimes those moments, like you just mentioned, just sitting and watching a soccer game, we sort of like often overlook or discount that, but they they can be so special and yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think, and, you know, it's really fun too, as they bond and as they become more trained that you're not sitting there sort of wrangling or, or trying to, you know, keep them calm, you know, once they mature and they're, and again, when they're trained better, they really can just go everywhere with you. I'm, I'm glad that we're getting a lot more dog friendly places throughout the States. Uh, and there's some cities that are amazingly dog friendly, every restaurant, uh, parks are all dog accessible. Um, and I think it's just getting more popular. Um, I think Western Europe, we're seeing a lot of that as well. Not sure there how dog-friendly you are or if you've got dog-friendly yeah, restaurants or anything. I think sadly, I mean, we we do, but uh, we're a little bit behind, I think, in my opinion anyway, the, from, yeah, the States and, and Europe as, as how they've really accepted dogs in society and basically just said a lot of places, uh, wherever you go, you, your dog's welcome to go with you, you know. 
Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I think what we're seeing and it's getting why that's taking root is there's more and more science now behind human animal bonds. So all the things that you and I have probably known anecdotally our whole life are now having some backing that, you know, they can lower blood pressure and they can cause weight loss because they want you to take them for a walk. And, you know, you, you lose weight when you're exercising and so many of the mental and physical benefits and now that we're getting some white papers and some data, peer-reviewed data, it's it's got a lot more science, and that allows you to go to city councils and governments and say, yeah, no, this should be dog-friendly because, you know, dogs are our social capital. Basically, dogs are the icebreaker. You know, a dog park is a great place where you have, you know, a PhD talking to a high school dropout because they both own a cocker spaniel. You know, and it's just a, it's a it's a it's the bridge capital that causes social capital to happen, and so it can really be a uh, an environmental benefit to have dogs around. It's better for your city to have dogs around so that your people are interacting more because they're, they, like I said earlier, they don't care if you're black or white or gay or straight or Jewish or Catholic or whatever. They just don't care. So it's the ultimate um, lubricant. It's the ultimate icebreaker. Oh, absolutely. To people. Yep. Two people walk down the street and you don't, they don't even look at each other, but if it's two dog people walking down the street, it's, Hey, how you going? <laughs> and it's a exactly. stop, and the dogs introduce, and you start talking, and it's just like, okay, what else does that? <laughs> yeah, and you know, right now, as the world is right now, there's no better time for everybody to get a dog. Please <laughs> <laughs> go out and adopt a dog from a shelter right now because um, we need it. We need that stress relief, and we need, you know, uh, it's unconditional. You know, we need that unconditional love sometimes. Absolutely. So that's leading into. Do you want to tell people what you actually do? and how that came about. Uh, sure. So I am the Senior Manager of Adoption Initiatives with PetSmart Charities. Uh, PetSmart Charities is a nonprofit that um, gives money to animal shelters, animal rescues on one side, sort of the human-animal bond, creating families and bringing people and pets together. And then we also uh, give grants towards... Um, we call it working our way up the leash. So some of those human-animal bond issues, like uh, keeping the pet in the family. So... Um, food insecurity issues, access to veterinary care, things that might make a person give a pet up to a shelter. We're trying to address those areas and put funding into areas that would keep that from happening. Because as we talked about earlier, that human-animal bond is so strong, but society hasn't you know, completely caught up to low-income or no-income people owning pets. And there's lots of uh, what we call vet deserts, areas where there is just no um, ability to get even preventative care, uh, much less emergency care. And you know, and as you know, you know, everyone of every income level loves their pet and they love them as much as you love them. So they want that care and it's just not accessible. So we do, we look for areas that we can help solve that. We're looking for ways that we can use our funding and our grants to help um, reduce that food insecurity and, and get dog food and cat food into human food banks as well. So that people that own pets that are also food insecure can get their pets food as well. And so I've been doing that for about the last six years. I oversee the adoption side. So there are about uh, 1,500 plus PetSmart stores, and we have about 3,000 plus partners that go into those stores and do adoptions. Um, and so I oversee a team of four that um, gives grants to those groups to go into the stores, to do adoptions, to put those pets in homes. Um, uh, about two years ago, before the pandemic, we placed about 669,000 pets in one year wow. um, through, through PetSmart stores. So the pandemic sort of slowed that down a little bit. Uh, last year, we were about just over 400,000. Um, but still, these are numbers that are, you know, your average animal shelter adopts out, you know, 5,000, 6,000 animals maybe here in the States. Um, 
you know, we're, we're you know, 600,000 is no, no small number that we're, we're helping out. So it's really a great organization and really proud to work there because my previous 25 years before that um, was running animal shelters. So, you know, I was one asking for money to help do what I do. And now I'm on the other side where we're giving money away. So it's, it's a little more fun. Um, but the shelter work was amazing too. I started when I was 20 years old. Um, I was a junior in college, got my first dog on my own as an adult um, and started working at the shelter that I got my dog from. Uh, and that's all I've done since 1990 until now. I, I worked in shelters and then went on to PetSmart Charities and done field work. I've done a lot of impounds where we would go into puppy mills and take two or 300 dogs and horrible conditions, um, horse rescues and hoarders, people that just live in, in really bad conditions and very, you know, sad mental disorders sometimes that go on with that. So I've seen a lot of different aspects of uh, the animal welfare world and animals in all kinds of conditions from the worst to, to you know, where Luke is today. Um, <laughs> and so uh, it's been an interesting career. And, and this, this role has been able to take me all over the United States and Canada. I uh, haven't much traveled into Europe or Australia yet, but uh, very anxious to. Uh, and also to learn what's going on in this space in those areas, because I think there's things we're doing that Europe and, and Australia can do. And I think there's probably things you're doing that maybe we can learn from. And um, the internet really has exploded our industry. You know, pre-internet, the shelter euthanasia was through the roof. And, you know, people just, there was no way to share best practices and to communicate with each other. And so we've done a good job in the States of really sharing best practices and moving animals from areas of, you know, overpopulation to areas of high demand. Um, but really haven't tapped in there, you know, at least on the local level to see what internationally is going on. So um, always curious when I when I meet folks to say, you know, what's going on in your backyard or in your state or country? Mm -hmm. um, because the mentality of the people in those areas is so different, even regionally around the states. You know, how people see pets. Is it a companion or a commodity? You know, and in some areas, it's a working dog. It's a hunting dog or it's it's got a job. And in other areas, it's a companion. It sleeps on the bed and it, you know, drinks from the golden chalice. So, um so anyway, it's uh, it's interesting that the field has really, you know, it's about 30 years now of, of working with pets and, um, you know, you, you get in it for the animals and you stay for the people. You know, there's some amazing people in this field and um, really compassionate and really passionate people um, that do great things for all kinds of animals. I'm mainly small animals, so it's dogs, cats, gerbils, guinea pigs, ferrets, you know, small mammals. Mm -hmm. um, but I've met a lot of equine people, a lot of livestock uh Potbelly pigs were very popular for a while. So there's a lot of pig rescues around here, uh, around the States. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting career. And uh, oh, that sounds, it, yes. <laughs> yeah. So if um, people did want to contribute or find out more about it, where should they look? Uh, PetSmartCharities.org is the United States website. PetSmartCharities.ca is the Canada website. Um, you know, of course, it's accessible anywhere all over the globe, but that's where you would learn about our grants and our um, the things we've spent our money on. We do only grant to the, the to United States and Canada, so um, would love, you know, your listeners can, can see some of the success stories, you know, and maybe there's something in there that can be replicated. And I, I would always my hope that we learn from each other and there's programs on there. If anyone that listens is interested in anything we're doing, they can reach out. My email address is on the website because um, I'd love to talk internationally and see, is there anything we can learn from each other? Is there stuff that we can do here to increase adoptions or do better than we're doing today? Uh, absolutely. I'm all about people just sharing in intelligence and making you know, the, the whole world of dogs a, a better place. Yeah, absolutely. Steve, 
it has been a thoroughly enjoyable conversation and loved hearing all about Luke. I think you guys have got a long, long time ahead of you to, to have a wonderful life. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for having me, Robert. I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the show. Thank you to our new listeners in Montreal, Canada and Singapore City in Singapore. Uh, like them, I hope that you would like, share, subscribe and or leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to this on. But uh, I would really appreciate it if you just simply told a friend how awesome dogs are and how awesome the dogs are on this podcast. Until next week, stay safe and remember, your dog is family.